I'm Bridget Owens, and you're listening to the Waxing Soul Podcast, where we dig deep into the nuance of magical and spiritual concepts. It's February 2nd, 2023, and on today's episode, we're discussing whether our magic and spiritual gifts are a path to power, a heavy burden, or maybe neither. Are you ready to grow your soul? Our local pagan pride day organizers recently decided to start a pagan book club. And the first meeting was this past weekend, and the book was by a local author about uh, traditional folk magic in the area, which uh, uh, the book was um, Ozark Folk Magic by Brandon Weston, just in case anyone is curious. But one of the things that was discussed quite a bit in the book was how magical practitioners and healers in the area have long had to kind of be careful to keep their abilities quiet. And this is this has always been, you know, an area with strong Protestant Christian beliefs. And even though the folk magic traditions have also been alive and well underneath all that for, you know, well over 100 years, there was an understanding that it wasn't really to be talked about and acknowledged openly. Like, there were expectations about, like, healers not asking for payment. There was... You know, were kind of unspoken rules about what to do and not to do, both as a healer or practitioner and as someone going to them for services. And there was a, a clear delineation between someone with the gift and, and a witch. If you weren't using your abilities to heal and help people, then you were a witch and dealing in dark things. And this is this is all, especially if you remove the Christian influences, this is true of all kinds of traditional folk practices uh, all over the world. And it reminded me of my research into Paleolithic nomadic forager groups and the way egalitarian social structures work. And that made me think about the difference between that and how we approach a lot of spiritual and magical abilities and practices and gifts today, especially in terms of like the amount of influence and power someone can socially claim through the use of their abilities. What is acceptable and what are the implications of that, not just socially, but also spiritually. And I feel like this kind of brings together some of the other topics I've talked about here on the podcast before, like if we are obligated to use our spiritual gifts and the matter of payment, especially as it relates to capitalism within spirituality, um, also individualism and spirituality, and the role of the community in our practices. Like These are all things that I've dug into before, but we're going to get into some new territory today as well. And I think we have to acknowledge and be aware that the way people come to magic and witchcraft and healing and all of that now is very different than it has ever been in the past. Like The roots of our practices all come from distinct cultural times and places where people were born into these practices. You know, the idea of someone kind of deciding that they need something different spiritually, that, you know, whatever beliefs they've held up to that point just aren't whatever they need at some level, and deciding to explore something like witchcraft or paganism is a very new kind of idea. Like, there would have been different ways of engaging with the cultural spiritual traditions and worldview, like different roles you could potentially choose to play, but there wouldn't have been the choice of like, hey, a couple of tribes over, they believe in this other thing, so I'm going to go do that. Like that, that's a new thing. And that has all kinds of implications when it comes to 
how we think of magic and how we think of ourselves as practitioners. You know, we think of magic as like a personal tool, something we develop or have or learn on an individual level. But for most of those who came before us, the role of, you know, a healer or practitioner, the role of someone with the gift of magic would have been already kind of defined within their culture. There would have been some social rules, social conventions for how someone would learn to use their gifts or how they would be recognized as someone with those skills and abilities. How they fit into the community would have been predefined. Their responsibilities would have been um, you know, already understood by everyone and the ways in which the community supported them and all of that as well. And what this would have meant is that the amount of influence or power someone would have gotten within the community would have had a natural limit. And I think when I'm reading about research into hum, you know, early human history, I see a lot of researchers assuming that, you know, that, that someone who was maybe a healer or a shaman or a priest or whatever, whatever label we try to put on those things, would have had like a ton of power within that society, that it was part of a hierarchy. And the more I read, the more obvious it becomes that researchers have for a very long time and still continue to uh, apply modern ideas about community and power to times and places when those concepts weren't part of the cultural lexicon. Like we look at someone who very possibly had special skills or abilities that were valued by the rest of the community and, and we see a path to recognition or success or whatever, we know that in our own society, if we're special, if we're skilled at something, if we've got special talents, that's our ticket to being successful and financially comfortable and revered. But there's no reason really to think that our ancestors would have seen things the same way, especially once we get back a few hundred years, much, you know, much less thousands or tens of thousands of years ago. It's a, that's one of the things that really jumped out about the accounts in this book about the local folk magic traditions. You know, when someone found that they had abilities or learned about healing from someone else in the community, that wasn't a path to fame and fortune. There was a distinct burden that came with that. Like that person knew that they were always at risk of being accused of witchcraft or doing dark magic or, or worse things even if they weren't careful about when and how they use their abilities. You know, not the the you know, not that the community didn't appreciate and value their presence. They were needed and integral to the community. But all the lore and social conventions around the source of their abilities and the good and bad ways of using them and all of that served explicitly to keep them from using that position to seize power and influence and and disrupt the social ecosystem. Like the last thing you wanted was the local healer refusing to help someone because of money or because of some interpersonal conflict they were part of or whatever, you know, undermining other respected figures in the community, harming people with careless application of their skills or whatever. And so the safeguards against that take the form of like folklore and traditions and all that. And, and the result, the ultimate dynamic here is that these abilities are expressly prohibited from being a source of power or authority or influence or wealth. There's kind of an implicit understanding that those things, power, authority, influence, and wealth, are dangerous to the community and culture 
when held by one individual or a small group of people. But, like, we don't have that. (laughs) We live in a society where, for better or worse, well, largely for worse, those things are the things that we're taught to want. Like, we're taught it's good. That's the goal of the individual in society, right? To be more powerful, to more wealthy, more influential. For most of us now, if we have a skill or ability, if we can channel or, or do energy healing or make herbal medicine or whatever, that's a source of potential for us more than it is a burden. And, you know, maybe we still have a sense of like, this isn't mainstream or it's looked down on by Christians or we have to still be careful about laws that come from some of those old, like old ideas about these things being evil or scams or whatever. But lots of people actively seek out spiritual skills and techniques and want to find their gifts and figure out how to leverage them because we are part of a society that basically demands that we each find some way to grasp enough power and wealth and respect to not struggle to survive. For year three of the Waxing Soul podcast, my goal is to bring you not just my spiritual point of view, but to connect with a wide variety of authentic spiritual thinkers. If you're interested in being a guest and sharing your own path, practice, and approach to authentic individual spirituality, go to bridgetowens.com slash podcast to apply. I've started looking at just about everything through this lens of like, how does it relate to community dynamics and the degradation of our sense of culture and all of that? Regular listeners have probably already noticed that, (laughs) but it's an important aspect to so much of how we understand our spirituality and our magical practices. And I think a huge part of our, well, I mean, a, a big part of what I talk about in my book is how important it is to get in touch with and understand the roots of our core beliefs our deep self-beliefs and our inner ethical code, our inner values. And the thing is, part of the reason that's so important in ways that it really probably wasn't in the past is that we're left to figure that stuff out for ourselves now. There's, in more cohesive, connected cultural communities, some of that is just part of the worldview. It's part of the culture. It's, it has everything to do with how generation after generation after generation have learned to keep the community united and strong, to keep problematic behaviors and desires and stuff from tearing the fabric of the community apart. So, it, you know, If the community has learned through experience that allowing the shaman to use their influence for personal gain leads to really bad things, then they're going to create and evolve communal beliefs and rules and values that work to keep that from happening. There's there will always, you know, there will be consequences for going against those conventions. And we tend to get those like privilege comes with burden kind of things. And we do, and we do still have some of that, right? Like celebrity comes with a lack of privacy or having special skill means people demand your time and energy, that kind of thing. And really so much of the way that we talk about burdens in that sense links directly to issues of like exploitation which I know sounds extreme, but the conditions under which our spiritual gifts or our magical abilities feel like a burden are when we feel pressed or obligated to use those abilities and gifts as determined by somebody else, not not our own free will. It's that feeling of knowing that you're going to be expected to do something that you might not want to do. 
being special, having some ability that is special means you're going to be in demand. You're going to come up against some expectation that you serve some role or purpose, no matter what your own feelings might be on the subject. And I think one of the most illuminating things we can kind of ask ourselves when it comes to our shadow work is whether we like the idea of being special or hate the idea of being special because it comes down to, especially these days, it comes down to the difference between seeing specialness as an opportunity to sort of exploit yourself, to gain wealth and power and whatever, and seeing specialness as a liability and detriment because then others will want to exploit you. Now, I think that's not the only way to look at things, and I'll get more into that in the next section of the episode, but the conversations generally boil down to this. And when we talk about, even when we talk about, you know, whether it's okay to charge people for our spiritual services and abilities, the underlying conversation is about how to mitigate the feeling of being exploited by others by like balancing it out with exploiting ourselves in a way. And I think we do that because that's kind of how we perceive our connection to our communities. We tend to think of our contribution as needing to be something tangible or, well, not necessarily tangible as in physical, but something that that has monetary value in some way, because our worth to the community is too often measured in that way. Like, how are we literally valued? A lot of what we've been taught boils down to not really being able to be part of a community if we're not contributing value to it on paper, right? Like, the poorer we are, the less we matter. And that's filtered into our spiritual worldviews. We feel expected to contribute in a way that feels the same as, like, here's something I can use to signal my worth and kind of pay my way as a member of this spiritual community. And in some ways, I think this is why it's so, you know, beginning a, being a beginner in witchcraft or a newcomer to whatever path, if you notice, a, a lot of people kind of hover at that point and have a hard time moving past it. And I think it's in part because of this. It can feel like it's necessary to have some kind of skill or talent or tangible thing to offer before you can consider yourself really included or worthy of being part of a community for real. And so as long as a person is learning, they feel like they're not there yet. Like, and maybe this resonates with some of you. And it's unfortunate because the way a spiritual community should work is that everybody at all levels is embraced and fully included and supported. And it's also, you know, there can be a, a reluctance to step into that if you have that perception of the community dynamics, right? Like, if I'm a beginner witch, then I can do my own thing over here. I can just kind of vibe with my magic all alone. But if I get to the point where I'm experienced and not a beginner anymore, not in the learning phase, well, the fun is over. I have to put up or shut up. And I can't just do magic alone my own way, which is crap, right? (laughs) But I can see this happen with people. I can see the reluctance to be put in that position, to be made to shoulder that burden of having to be something or do something to satisfy what we think the expectations of others are. And I see it in people learning tarot, where it's kind of this assumption that you're not a real tarot reader if you're not doing it for other people, if you're not offering that service. And that's not true at all. Um, I see it in people calling themselves baby witches when, when they've actually 
already created a practice that works for them, which they enjoy and find beneficial to their lives, but they're waiting to consider themselves legitimate until they can be like a teacher for others or, you know, to make herbal medicines for people or whatever. That's the only other context in which I've consistently heard people talk about their magic or their spiritual gifts as a burden is when they are disruptive to a person's life. Like if they have prophetic dreams and it interferes with their mental health and their ability to sleep, that kind of thing. Empaths feeling overwhelmed by the emotions of others. And I don't want to get into the thing of like, oh, well, you know, like you think you have it bad? What about people who can't choose when they use their gifts? I think that's really counterproductive. But in both cases, it's at least in part an issue of lack of boundaries, either because you feel like you shouldn't establish them or because you don't have the capacity or capability. And it means that it really goes back to power again. It's, it's loss of power instead of gaining power on account of your magic. And it's all wrapped up in this power differential, this power imbalance, which exists in all levels of our society and culture today in ways that it didn't used to exist. But I don't think that's how it has to be. The Waxing Soul is just a small part of what I do, so while you're listening to the rest of the episode, hop over to my website and connect with me online. BridgetOwens.com is the central hub for all my projects, including books, card decks, videos, downloads, courses, and more. Also find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook as Bridget Owens Magic. There are, of course, multiple ways that we define power more than just one type of power that we care about. Magic is a source of of more than just power in the way that it helps us ascend in societal terms. Like Not all power is about social capital. So why have I been talking about social power and not just like spiritual power? And the thing is, if you really think about it, spiritual power isn't really a concept that means anything outside of the social power concept. Like, I can be, like, blessed with a huge amount of divine abilities, supernatural abilities, incredibly powerful magic. But if that doesn't translate to anything meaningful, you know, if it doesn't change anything tangible, if it's just... If if an ability doesn't actually have an impact on anything, I don't think it can be called power. It's ability, but it's not power if it can't be leveraged against something else. So I think where that really leaves us is looking at different forms of power and what that power means in our lives. Like, we all pursue magic for some reason. Spirituality in general, really. It does serve a purpose in our lives, and especially when we talk about magical ability and spiritual gifts and such, we pursue them either because we have some sense that they will be useful and helpful in some way, or these abilities become known to us and we are kind of pushed to figure them out. And it's really like any other skill or talent or ability. You know, someone who is like a really skilled mechanic, maybe even had like a childhood affinity for taking things apart and figuring out how they worked and putting them back together. They can leverage that skill for their own benefit and for the benefit of others. And we could call that a power, but we don't tend to. And to the extent that we, that they might also find themselves, you know, always being asked or expected to fix things for people or being constantly frustrated by the knowledge of how poorly made lots of things are and how how they could be fixed or made better, that knowledge or ability could also feel like a burden. But we don't really talk about that kind of skill like we do 
spiritual abilities and magic. And even if we only use our skills and talents for ourselves and not for others, for our own benefit in our own lives, that has further reaching impacts than we sometimes recognize. Like it goes for regular skills and spiritual ones. If the skilled mechanic doesn't ever offer their services to anyone else, they just fix their own stuff. Being able to keep everything in their home, in their life, running optimally and not broken down has far-reaching benefits. And if we only use our spiritual gifts and skills and magical abilities for ourselves to impact our lives in a positive way, those also have further you know, reaching impacts. The ability to do that is also powerful. And it's not just powerful when it can be used to advance some kind of agenda or give us an advantage of some kind. And I honestly think that's kind of the key to finding balance in all of this. Like reframing how we think about power, spiritual power, and what can be done with it. Thinking more about power to rather than power over. Like ability over authority autonomy over achievement like that our magic gives us options but we're responsible for you know what options we choose and the repercussions that might come from that and more importantly that our magic gives us power that is personal not in the sense that it is a way for us to individually get societal power but in the sense that it enables us to do things we couldn't do without that magic like, not power like a superhero's superpowers, <laughs> but power like, you know, a company employee who has the ability to handle a customer complaint without going to management. It's empowerment. And I've said before many times that magic is literally personal empowerment. It's literally taking personal power in our own hands and deciding what to do with it. That autonomy is what's missing from the prevailing perception of what it means to have power or not have power and instead be burdened. And I think that's the important difference between considering magic something given to us or granted to us and considering it something natural we all possess and just need to learn to use. Like if it's given to us, there has to be some kind of story, some agenda for that gift, some expectation. And there have been times when that has been an important cultural framework for magic um, like with the the book about Ozark's folk magic, considering magic and the ability to heal to be something which comes from God and is given to individuals for the benefit of the community, that reinforces this idea that, you know, it's not something you can seize power with because then God can take it away. And it's also something that you're supposed to use for the good of the community and not for yourself because, it's needed and you're part of, you know, God making sure that the community is cared for. It's a social mechanism which was necessary. But all that reads very differently now. So it doesn't make as much sense, depending on where you are, what type of community you're part of, to hold on to this insistence that those who possess these abilities are special, that they've been tasked with something, that they have a responsibility. For many, that is a recipe for exploitation rather than community well-being. And I think it reflects a, a shift in dynamic, which could be a good call for us to start thinking in terms of collective power. Because we don't have cohesive spiritual cultural communities anymore. Because we're just a population that's kind of dispersed into larger societies. 
recognizing that everyone does possess these talents and skills, or at least the potential for them, and that it's in our own best interest to help nurture those in everyone and not heap attention and responsibility on a smaller number of, you know, quote unquote, special people. Begin to take the potential for exploitation in both directions out of these skills. Because if everybody has them, everyone can kind of use them to some extent, even if they do need to turn to like more advanced or special practitioners for more complicated scenarios or whatever, then it, then it diffuses this push and pull between who gets to leverage our knowledge and ability to gain money and power. And then it's the whole community which gets lifted up and empowered rather than centering that power in individuals. And I don't mean not being able to charge money to people for our skills or, or not being able to pursue that as a profession, but to consider our magic and our spiritual skills as everyday abilities, you know, as skills, not as superpowers, to empower people and empower ourselves with the goal of thriving in our lives and thriving as a diverse community. Thank you for listening. New episodes of The Waxing Soul drop every Thursday-ish. All materials and resources, except the music, are copyright Bridget Owens. Many thanks to my guests, listeners, friends, followers, mentors, inspirations, and my family for making the podcast possible, interesting, and fun. Join me next week for more, and until then, blessed be.